Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST-126, our first release by the Treacherous Jaywalkers. It's the 12-inch EP, Sunrise. I I kind of gave it away at the end of the last episode, Brant, but I love this record, and um, it's got a kind of a little special place for me from way back when, and I'll, I'll spiel it for you in a minute, but we've also got a special guest, which makes it even better. Yeah, Josh Hayden's on the show. Great guy. Um, you know, when I listened to the interview, Brant, the thing that came to my mind is like, I've said this, well, I've said this before, I guess, we're pretty lucky that, you know, people are spending their time with a bunch of dudes who are just like doing this show and like, we're nobody, right? But um, the thing that came across again when listening to Josh is we're so lucky to get all this info, but also so many of these people we get to interview are just like nice people. And I was thinking, you know, maybe when we wrap this thing up, in six or seven years, we should have like a, uh, a Mojack wind up and, uh, have everyone over for drinks. Yeah. Let's have everyone, let's have everyone over. Uh, Like I'd love to have a beer with Josh and some of the other dudes that we had on the show. Let's do it. Hey, sounds great. Sounds like a ball. Done Done deal, man. Okay. Uh, Hey, why don't you spiel it for the dudes and dudettes to start us off? Okay. I've got a new segment, Ryan, this week. Oh, is it a top 10 list? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, think, I don't think there's 10 items in here, but I'm calling it Ryan's Recommend Rundown. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So what is, is this for me or is this former ones to you? This is stuff that you've recommended that I've checked out. Okay. Oh boy. And let's see if I get some street cred here. Finally. Okay. Shiner. So the, uh, the new one Schrodden fruit wasn't out yet. So I checked out one called the egg and Ooh. then just last week, Schrodden fruit came out and I checked it out. Indeed it did. Yeah. Just okay for me with Shiner. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Dave Smalley and the Bandoleros ignited EP. Yes. Brand new. Again, okay, a little too pop punk for my tastes. Ah, okay. Heads with a period at the end of it, by the way. Ooh, yes, push. Yes. Did you listen to push yet? No, because it's not, maybe it's out. It's not online anyways. So I checked out one from 2018 called Collider. Yes. It's not bad. I prefer the UK band The Heads, though. (laughs) okay what's the deal on the heads oh i think you know i think when i recommended heads for you i don't know two years ago that's what you said check out the heads yeah what's what's the deal with the heads uh they're like a almost like a mud honey maybe or something oh okay an album to check out that comes to mind would be everybody knows we got nowhere that's a good one okay okay savik Rotting teeth in the horse's mouth. Finally, you're you're checking out Savic after a year of calling them Sarek? Jeez, man. <laughs> All right, I wrote, now we're getting somewhere. That's what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Dead, Raven, Drooling. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really awesome. I will definitely I... be checking out more Dead. Oh yeah. The oh la- yeah. The last two tracks on that album, which I believe is brand new, are really grabbed me. They're like a dirgy, dirgier dub trio almost. Mm. Yeah, you've recommended dub trio. I've checked them out. They didn't really sink their hooks into me though. Okay, and then the last one here is more of a Shrek spiel recommend. Drilling yes. for blasting. Fingers are the best eyes. Loved man. it. Loved it. Yes. Yes. I knew you would, man. Great riffs. Two killer vocalists, at least to my ears. Anyways, I didn't really read up on them too much, but it sounds like two different singers. Really good. Yeah, I knew you'd like that. Did you did you catch all of the references that I, I laid down for you, like, you know, Cowgirls, ACDC, ZZ Top, all that, in that noise rock duo combo sound? Yep. I mean, the riffs are there for sure. They, they have oh, some yeah. great riffs. Yeah, man. Yeah, I liked it. Okay, some street cred, finally. Redemption. Yeah. Okay, here's a here's a little uh, a sad spiel. Jeff Douglas, the drummer for Always August, passed away. So sending out condolences to his friends and family and his bandmates. Oh. So I have a new addition into the comp, the comp. <laughs> I hope everyone else is hearing that with bad reverb on it now, even <laughs> even without it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this one's Scream, the compilation. Came out in 1987 on Geffen Records, associated with The Scream Club, which I don't think we've really talked about much. Maybe they weren't around yet in our era. I haven't even seen any gig posters for anything at The Scream Club come up for any of our bands, but... The liner notes to the album say, a catalyst for LA's new musical era. This record aims at showcasing the most promising of our local bands and demonstrating the diversity in music and attitudes in this city. So we've got Jane's Addiction doing a, this is a different version than the nothing shocking version of Pigs and Zen. One of my faves, The Hangmen with Rotten Sunday, but it's a different version than the one that's on their debut album. TSOL, the metal version without without Jack Grissom on vocals, they do All Along the Watchtower, the Bob Dylan song. But speaking of Jack, his band Tender Fury, uh, which is his band he had after of Cathedral of Tears, who have three great records, they have a track on there that's really good. A band I'm sure we've mentioned, Ryan, Community FK, that's Community with a K. They were on that independent project records, which is Bruce Liker of Savage Republic. Remember he had a, they were known for their letterpress packaging. I think we talked about them on our Angst EP episode. They did some stuff for Happy Squid, I think. And then there's a band on there called Abessadarians, I want to call them. LA-based trio, active mid to late 80s, specialized in reverb-heavy, synth-driven post-punk. That's what it says on their discogs. Never heard of them before, but I liked them. And then there's some other stuff on there that's that's pretty good, too. It's a great comp, though. Yeah, that's a... I remember seeing that around in the early 90s. Like, what, what year did that come out? Did you say that? 87. Okay, yeah. It's not, uh, I'm sure I've passed over that a number of times. Do you think it's worth me checking out? It doesn't really sound totally in my ballpark. Yeah, probably not for you. Okay. 
Um, I don't know. I don't mind the non-Grisham TSOL. Maybe I'll check out that. Okay, and then I have a podcast shout-out. It's called The Trap Set with Joe Wong. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay, Joe was, or is, I don't know the status of this band, the drummer for Parts and Labor. Do you know them? I know that name, yeah. Yeah. Well, you should check them out. You'd probably like them. Cool band, great drummer, and a really good interviewer, too. He's been doing this for a while. There's, like, I think close to 300 episodes and of like like every podcast other than ours, he's been pumping out episodes since the pandemic started. <laughs> <laughs> I checked I'd checked this one out before a long time ago, but then a listener, David Martin, hipped us or hit me to a newer one, a newer episode with Sean Solomon, who's in this sub pop band called Moaning, who are really cool. And he is a nephew to Mark Myler. And oh, no way. he talks about Zoogs a bit. He talks about getting guitar lessons from, or sorry, drum lessons from Richie Haas when he was a kid. It's pretty cool. It's a great interview. Uh, he's had Andrew Becker of Medita- Medications on there. Oh, cool. Yep. Jay Robbins, Hunt Sales, talking about his time with Iggy. And here's one I haven't listened to yet, but speaking of Shiner, Jason Gherkin of Shiner and Season of Risk and looks like a bunch of other bands has been on the podcast too. Ah, yes. Cool. Yeah. And then one more quick thing I wanted to mention, David Martin, who hit me to the that Trap Set episode, he sent us each a copy of the Earth Dies Burning compilation on Captured Tracks, who he works for. Earth Dies Burning, of course, we talked about in our Zoogs episode. They played with Zoogs a little bit. I'm just going to read you the sticker that comes on the front of this album, though, because I don't know if I knew this about Earth Dies Burning, how young they were, but check this out. Earth Dies Burning was formed in 1981 in the San Fernando Valley by a group of friends ranging in age from 10 to 14. The Carlson and Natchman brothers and Brad Lehner of Medicine, featuring songs it seems that only now has the time ripened Dear listener, let the sweet smell of singed terrestrial morbidity flow from the valley of the bored teenager to your ears. Whoa. Yeah. This is, as far as I know, still available on Captured Tracks, and if anybody wants to check it out, they they really should. Yeah, that sounds cool. I remember you mentioning that. And how old were they? Like early teens? 10 to 14. (laughs) Have you listened to it? Yeah. It's pretty wild, man. It's wild. Well, their singer's that Matt Carlson guy, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the nightclub sequence guy? Yeah. Zoogs, Rift, that guy? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't do that here, though. He doesn't do that while he's singing in the band? Not in this one, no. (laughs) Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, well, there's a copy here for you. What? Yeah. Nice. That's it, man. Okay, I'm up? You're up. Okay, I'm still a little shaken by you giving such low ratings to Shiner here. I'm I'm hesitant to to go into my first feel, which is actually a recommend for you. Go on, um, but I feel, I feel pretty comfortable with this one because I'm 99% sure there's a good chance that you've already heard of this band. Uh, it's just that I was listening to them today, and it reminded me of something that you would really dig. So, but let me ask you first, Brent: Do you like the MC5? Love them. How about 
Tricky Woo. Yes. How about the Rolling Stones? Well, you know I love the Stones. How about ACDC? You know I love it. ACDC. So today I was listening to this band that's got like flavors of all of that. And I'm pretty sure you've, I don't know, I'll be, I'll be shocked if you haven't heard of them, but I got to recommend them just in case you haven't. It's this band called The It Men. Have you ever heard of them? The It Men? The It Men. I have never heard of them. Looks old. Okay, though. dude. It's uh, it's it's intended to look old. Okay. This is this comp is called the greatest its, I T S. Okay. And uh, it's out on, gosh, what label is this on? Hang on a second. Um, it's a double LP that I got anyways, and I, I'm pretty sure like they're a Cleveland band, and I think from the um early. Early 2000s, they were around, and then they reformed for for some tracks like in 2013 or something. Uh, Stowe House Records. You've never heard the It Men before. Never even heard of them. You just Sweet. you sold me on this though pretty hard, man. It better better not Sweet. disappoint. Sweet, I can't wait. I was listening to it this morning while I was grocery shopping out with the other uh, plague folk out yeah. there and uh, I was cranking it in my headphones while I was going down the pastry aisle and I was like Brant would love this oh I'm checking it out as soon as we're done recording this episode man okay I hope I uh gosh can you re-listen to that Shiner album too while you're at it <laughs> whatever anyways uh okay so that's a, a bit of a micro spiel recommend though heavy recommend uh the second one is a bit of a bit from out of left field but it's it's definitely sst related it might you might say it's part of the ss tree but in literary form okay um but it's very tangential you know why I, I got that book um the new one by henry rollins stay fanatic yes that book yeah so i finally finished reading it and i actually really really prefer his three volume fanatic set over this new type of a book stay fanatic this stay fanatic is it's got some good tidbits in it it's really aimless though and it's really repetitive for my money um and i i wish i had a better uh you know review than that i wish i did but as with everything henry it does hit me to some cool stuff that i've never heard of before or that i got to go down a rabbit hole and check out and uh in that book he, he's talking about, you know, back in the day before the internet and all that kind of stuff, the types of written resources they needed in order to, you know, hunt for records or check out new bands. And he mentioned this book, The International Discography of the New Wave by B. George and Martha Defoe. And it's it's the second edition from 1982-1983. And it's... It's, like about a it's like a telephone book. <laughs> well, it here's the thing. It's like a telephone book for um, records, anything punk, new wave, or whatever that had come out before 82, 83. But not just that. It has um, all the comps that had come out before then. It has labels, U.S. labels. It has distributor lists, phone numbers, 
all of the mailing addresses. It's got even like an ad in it, Brent, of course, for alternative tentacles, but also fringe product. It's a real interesting like a uh, little time capsule of the way in which people back then, you know, when, when I was, you know, just a, a wee, wee, wee little kid, were learning about this music that we later discovered and still love to this day. It's got um, like by state and it even has like a Canada section, all the stuff that was like around back then that you read about or you you see in all the documentaries talking about certain venues or certain record stores, but I'm talking worldwide. Mm-hmm. And I bet you, I just bet you, like not only was this a good resource for record geeks, um, it's too bad I didn't have it when we were going through the Black Flag stuff because there's a there's a page and a half, well, more like a page, I suppose, on Black Flag back then, but some interesting notes on the Black Flag releases um, because they were like current it's like this one is on this comp also like you know really detailed uh notes like that because these were super record geeks that were putting this all in one place for all the record geeks around the world but also to spread the word too right and also to have like a phone book for each other and so it's really cool you'll have to check it out when you uh when you come over next time because it's I, first of all, I can't believe I, I got a copy. It it retailed for twelve ninety five back then. It costs way more than that now, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's uh it's really cool. Like it's got you know a section on like really on people, just on people, right? There's one on um, Lee Ronaldo. There's something here. Um, it talks about like the, like I know you're a Lee Ronaldo Sonic Youth fan, but for example, like in eighty two eighty three. This is what it said about Lee Ronaldo. It's four lines long. It says, Song Shift is on Just Another Asshole number five. It's a magazine comp, LP, rubber stamped, die cut, white sleeve and label. Lee is in Glenn Bronca's group. <laughs> wow. That's all it says about Lee Ronaldo back then. Anyways, you should check it out when you're here next. Yeah, no kidding, man. That's cool. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff you can't find on discogs or anywhere online for that matter no well hey how much you want to bet chuck and global used something like this Guaranteed. when they were built i was when think- they their- exactly what i was thinking as you flipped through it yeah i know um like in the 90s or whatever we used to use the book your own life out of mrr yeah um but this this is like the early international version 100 percent. Hmm. anyways that's all i've got a heavy recommend and some reading material. Right on. I can't wait to have a look at that next time I'm at your house. Well, Brant, do you see the sunrise? <laughs> History lesson, part one. Okay, how do you want to start this off? We've got Josh on the show. Where should we go? Why don't we just throw it to Josh? Because... Honestly, like, thank God we got him on here, because I don't think we would have been able to come up with anything for a history lesson part one. At least I didn't. I couldn't find jack shit. Yeah, I could only find something on them in the great indie discography, that MC Strong book. That one is also like a phone book. Um, But it's hidden under the Spain entry. Right. And then also... 
there is a, a very, very slight mention of them in that uh, Dave Lang Consequence of Sound article. But you're right, there's not much out there. Before we go over to Josh, let's just mention who's in the band here, okay? So in addition to Josh Hayden on bass and vocals, there's James Fenton on drums, who's a monster, and then Quinn Haber on guitar, who um, I love his playing, and we'll we'll get into that later too, about why I love this band. Yeah. But that's that's it. It's just trio. Okay, we're joined on the podcast today by Josh Hayden. Josh, thanks for being on the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Okay, so we're talking treacherous jaywalkers. And as I mentioned to you off air, there's really not a lot out there, at least that I could find, uh, about the treacherous jaywalkers. So let's start with how you met the other guys in the band. Well, we met in high school, ninth grade. I was 15, I think. And um, we went to this um, high school called Crossroads School in Santa Monica, California, which was, it still is, I don't know if it still is already, but it was kind of like an already cool school where the teachers walked around with no shoes on and <laughs> used to do LSD with the students, that kind of school. <laughs> And um, that's where we met and realized we all played instruments that would be commiserate with a band, and we just decided to start a band. And that band was Treacherous Jaywalkers? Yeah. Hmm. Where'd the name come from? Well, at the time, we would um, sit around and get stoned and think of funny phrases. And at the time, there was like, like uh, Moon Unit Zappa's Valley Girl was out right. and there was the whole valley lingo. So we were kind of like making up our own lingo. And um, I think Treacherous Jaywalkers came out of that when we, another thing we used to do is take the bus to Westwood, which was um, where it's like the college town where UCLA is. And there's a particularly dangerous intersection there and we saw a guy jaywalking across the street and that's the light bulb went, went off that's treacherous <laughs> and that's a treacherous jaywalker and then that's how he got the name awesome now what year would have this been 84 maybe 85 84 at the earliest i think are your music tastes similar the three of you like what are you guys yeah. listening to well i think the the band that we all like are the we had we shared love for the Minutemen the most as far as like us all together. We also love Black Flag, Public Image, UK Subhumans, Meat Puppets, Husker Du. Uh, Would it be safe to say you're one of those bands that was really maybe hoping to get on SST? Well. Earlier, when I was in junior high, Black Flag was the first punk band I ever heard. So that Black Flag and Greg Ginn changed my life. And I'd been at from since probably the age of 12, I had been aware of SST and the SST logo and the SST bands. But I never necessarily like translated that into wanting to be on the label. I just liked the music. 
um, especially Minutemen. Minutemen were my favorite band. And actually, we we wanted to be on New Alliance. Okay. New Alliance was our dream, not SST. Interesting. Did you play with the Minutemen? Did we? No, we never did. No. We played with Firehose a bunch. But you were playing shows a couple years before your first EP came out. Yeah, we didn't start. I'm, I could be wrong, but we didn't start playing gigs in proper clubs until 1986. I could be wrong. I I've gone through. I have over a hundred cassettes. Wow. Of um, studio stuff, like you know, four track cassette recording that our friend Steve Townsend produced. And also like a ton of live cassettes that I made and I'd have to go through them just to make sure. But I'm pretty sure we, in 85, we were just playing parties around town and it wasn't until 86 that we started playing clubs. Yeah. Your band camp is amazing. It's got so much great oh, stuff on there. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying um, at my own pace to digitize that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's awesome to, to have all that stuff to, to check out for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know why I did it, but like before every gig, I had my cassette Walkman and I just, before we'd start playing, I just put it at the front of the stage and hit record. And that's, I recorded most of our shows that way. Did you have enough material to do a full-length album by the time the first EP came out? I guess I'm asking, why an EP? So, in sometime in 1984, when we had our first demo recorded, I went to one of the many Minutemen gigs that I would go to, and I garnered up the courage to approach Mike Watt and introduce myself and give him one of our cassettes. And that's how the relationship with Watt started. And every time um, I'd see him at a gig and I would have a new tape or new material to give him, I'd give him the tape and he'd say to me, I really like the, the last cassette you gave me, I'll listen to this one, you're almost ready to record. And then he'd listen to it, and then he, the next time I'd see him, he'd say, you're almost there, just keep giving me cassettes. And that's what I did. And eventually he said, okay, you guys are ready to record. And that was when I gave him the demo that has the song De um, Detonate on it. And um, he said, let's go uh, record. I don't know why it was an EP, that's a good question. The EP was recorded for SST, not for New Alliance. The the EP was recorded for New Alliance. If my memory serves me correctly, it was recorded for New Alliance, and then Watt sold New Alliance to SST. And Ginn called me and asked if we wanted to put the record out on SST. I'm pretty sure that's how it happened. Do you remember the recording sessions with... Richard Andrews and with Watt. What I'm assuming Watt was in the studio yeah. with you when you re when you recorded. Yeah, I remember it. It took I think two days. We recorded the song in one day, and the next day we um, mixed it. We didn't know what we were doing. It was our first time in a official studio, 
I was really nervous. I remember, I, I, and that was it pretty much. I remember this one time okay. I, like, I forgot how to sing. I was so nervous that I literally forgot <laughs> how to sing. And I told Watt, I'm like, I, I can't remember how to sing. <laughs> and he said, don't worry, Josh, that happens when you're nervous. Just, we'll just keep working on it. <laughs> what was his participation? Did he make suggestions as far as structure of the songs or was he more like a uh, helping Richard out get sounds. What was what was Mike's role? Would you say? Probably, I I don't remember, but he was make probably making suggestions. He knew how to play all the songs too. I remember him playing detonate on guitar. I don't think he was like structuring the song. I just think maybe he was suggesting overdubs and stuff like that definitely wasn't like pushing us to be to play the songs perfectly because it's very obvious that we we didn't know what we were doing as far as playing our instruments except for James the drummer i feel like it wasn't really polished the way some of our favorite bands would would have made a polished made a record like really polished we weren't really focused on making things perfect it definitely has a live feel to it like live off the floor yeah i think it serves it well to me anyways i don't know what your thoughts are on it all these years later i think it's great i i like it and yeah I remember um, one of my heroes from those days, Tim Yohannan from Maximum Rock and Rolls. I loved, we loved Maximum Rock and Roll, the magazine and the radio show. And yeah. Tim Yohannan um, himself reviewed Detonate. Um, oh, I hope it got a good review. We, we, yeah, it got a good <laughs> review. I was oh, good. because he was like, this is, oh, it might have been good medicine the next one. <laughs> I think it was I think it was Sunrise. But anyways, he said this, this is a decidedly political album from SST, which is very unusual. That made me feel better about what we were trying to do that someone was getting it. That's an interesting point actually that I hadn't considered. Do you consider it like a political album? Yeah. Um well, the lyrics definitely with there's yeah. two songs on it that have lyrics and then two instrumentals i think you know i um we were all all three of us came from families that had a tradition of like very liberal questioning authority and we grew up in that environment so we were i think more aware of political issues than a lot of young people were um, it's an oh. interesting point I hadn't considered. I mean, it's been a while since we talked about the Minutemen on this podcast, but I I can't think of a SST band since the Minutemen, really, that took politics into the equation. Yeah. Well, la later, well, there were a lot of political bands. We we kind of, our, our musical taste veered towards those types of bands like uh, Crass and... The UK Subhumans and other bands, we really like Discharge. And um, I noticed in the thank yous on the album, you thank a number of those kinds of bands, which I thought was interesting because 
I, I see why now. I was like, why are they think, thanking some of these bands? They're, you know, musically, they're they're dissimilar. Yeah. The two sides on the EP, side Josh and side Quinn, is that because of song songwriting? I think so. Uh, I have a few questions about some of the actual tracks. The song Detonate, do, is that a theremin that I hear in that song? Do uh, I don't think so. I don't remember. No. Uh but knowing Ethan James, it was Ethan James's studio. There may have been a theremin there, but I don't okay. remember. <laughs> what about the piece at the beginning of Helicopters in the Sunrise? It says Aiden and Marshall wrote the dialogue. Who are those? Friends of the bands? Of yeah. The band, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Friends of the band. So they wrote that piece specifically for the record? I think they wrote the dialogue for it. Right. The actual runoff groove groove on the LP says Aiden is a wise man. Yeah, it was an inside <laughs> joke, I think. Okay. In in our music, there were a lot of inside jokes. I think there may have been a little few too many inside jokes, but we were <laughs> having a lot of fun back then. And Aiden also did the cover art. Um, the cover art was James, the drummer. Okay. James Fenton, who. Um, is a very talented artist and did all of our um, front cover and back cover artwork and design and our flyers. Um, the, the treacherous font, that's James. So like predominantly using paint or how was he, how was he do, doing the art? Pretty sure it was paint. What about touring? Did you, did you tour on this record? Yeah, the EP. So some so before the vinyl came out, we put out three cassettes ourselves. Uh, the first one was called Earth. The second one was called Insidious Sun, and the third one was called Fun. I think. And we started this kind of network. Uh, we called it. Um, we lived in. Uh, the west side of LA. So I lived in Pacific Palisades. Quinn lived not far from me, and James was in Culver City, which are all suburbs of LA on the west side, closer to the beach. And as a joke, we started. We we had like a a very large contingent of friends who were also musicians and we were all in bands we were all recording and putting out music and we decided to kind of put a, put ourselves together as a um i don't know organized unit of chaos and we called it uh palisades juvenile delinquents so okay. i kind of, i was i had lots of free time back then and so i started this network of all kinds of punk rock kids all over the country. And I got them, not got them, but they, I don't know how it happened, but they started juvenile delinquent contingents in their neighborhoods. <laughs> so I got to be pen pals. This was way before the internet. I got to be pen pals with a guy in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, and... I think when this EP came out that summer, we um, we did our first tour, which was Lake Havasu City, 
and Yuma, Arizona. And then we came home. And then the next summer, we played up the coast. We played, I, I can't, Seattle, Portland. And then we drove all the way to Bozeman, Montana. And I think the reason for that is um, Global canceled the tour. And those were the only three days dates left. Okay. And then the next summer... Global booked a proper U.S. tour for us where we went from L.A. to, to New York and back. These Palisades Juvenile Delinquents, do I know any of the bands that were uh, involved in it? That's a good question. I don't remember any of the bands. Um, I There probably some of the bands you might have heard just in the um, heard of in the course of the podcast. Um, Mustard was one. I don't know if you've heard Mustard, heard of them. Yep. Mustard yep. were some of our closest friends. We played a lot of parties and gigs with them. A band called Ultra Drown. Who else? There, there was a, an associated band that were so great called Blue Garden Blue. They were kind of like this 13th floor elevator style psychedelic band. But the kids playing were like 14 um, Hedgehog was one okay. a band from Santa Cruz that grew out of Ultra Drown, and also we would we would like start bands and trade band members all the time. I was in a instrumental uh, Black Flag instrumental influenced band called Out. That was our version of Gone. <laughs> we called it Out, and that was me and James from Treacherous and. Um, Eddie, the guitarist from Alter Drown, and oh, we wow. actually have a recording cassette that we put out, and I've been—I have it. I should digitize it. Yeah, that would be amazing to hear. What about those uh, three treacherous Jaywalkers cassettes that you mentioned? I'm working on the first one, Earth. I'm just going through the different versions I have on cassette, trying to get the best sound quality. It's kind of right. taking me a while, but it'll be on the Bandcamp well, page eventually. That's awesome. We'll keep an eye out for the, for those for sure. You mentioned your kind of upbringing. What did your dad think of of Treacherous Jaywalkers? Um, he loved it. He thought, well, my dad, he was um, supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And he would tell me that. He would say, whatever you do in your life, I support but um, I would play him uh, records. I'd sit in my room with him, playing him all the new music that I got. And some of it he didn't like at all, and some of it he really liked. But he really liked Treacherous Jaywalkers, and he would play it for his friends. Like I remember once he said, I was on the tour bus with Ornette Coleman, and I gave him your cassette. I think it was probably the first cassette earth and he said i just looked back at ornette with his headphones on and ornette was nodding his head and smiling listening <laughs> to your cassette that's awesome yeah so uh, he he my dad dug the music that's very cool is that why you chose bass as an instrument I was probably had to, something to do with it i started playing guitar and um i just didn't connect to it I was probably yep. 13, and um, maybe the instrument I was using 
wasn't easy enough, easy to play, but I just remember it being too difficult. And I said, my dad said, well, why don't you try bass? So my dad, at, at the time, my family, the Hayden family had um, a pawn shop in Springfield, Missouri. And my dad, I guess, was visiting over there and he visited the pawn shop and found a 1957 Fender Precision and brought it back. In those days, probably they, they weren't very expensive. Plus, yep. they probably gave it to him for free. Uh, <laughs> probably just took it. And that was what I recorded all the treacherous stuff on. Wow. And going up to my, my um, 90s band to current day, a band called Spain, I recorded um, the first Spain record with that beautiful instrument. Did your dad give you lessons? Um, not really. He gave me pointers. I didn't want lessons. I took actually lessons with a great um, kind of free jazz electric electric bassist in L.A. called Stuart Liebig. And okay. um, he's still around playing all the time. And he gave me lessons for like a year, I think. And after that, I didn't. I didn't really... I wasn't really interested in knowing how the proper way to play it. I didn't, I never learned how to read music or write music. I never wanted to do that. What was it like, you know, growing up with a famous musician as a dad? Was your house like one of those places where there was other musicians around a lot? Well, sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. Um, I think in the beginning, when my parents were still together, it probably there were probably more characters coming in and out of the house, of the apartment. Yeah. We, when we lived in New York City, my my dad had really close friends, and those were the ones who would appear most often, um, like Don Cherry, right? Um, Paul Motion a lot. Usually, like the the I don't know. I get everyone's different, and everyone has a different personality. And the more friendly people would come hang out more often than the people right. who are kind of not very sociable. Right. But I remember once um, I was when I was a kid, and it's probably probably nine or ten, and I was riding. This was after we moved to L.A. And I was riding my bike in um, in front of the house, and I saw in the distance this crazy-looking ice cream truck driving up the street. And I was like, I pulled my bike over, and I was staring at it. And I was saying, "Is that an ice cream truck?" And I think it even had the ice cream the ice cream truck music coming out of it. But it was like the most messed up ice cream truck like it was all like scratched up and gray and and the ice cream pictures were peeling off and and i, I was like this is the craziest ice cream truck as it got closer that i was like what is this and the ice cream truck pulled up to where i was on sitting on my bike and the door opened one of those swing doors and and the guy driving it looked at me, he says, is this where Charlie Hayden lives? <laughs> I said, yeah. And then he looked back and he's like, okay, get, okay, kids, we're here. <laughs> and the back door opened and all these screaming kids 
came running out of the back of the ice cream truck, and it was Don Cherry with Eagle Eye, his son, and a bunch of other kids just coming over to visit. That was pretty fun. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Somebody listening to this podcast has never heard, you know, something that your dad played on. Where, what would you point them to? Probably the the first album. I would say this is our music, just because or, it's with Ornette Coleman, and it was such a groundbreaking album. It changed music in so many ways, jazz and and popular music. And then I would recommend listening to the first liberation music orchestra album which is okay. i think the greatest album ever recorded in the history of music um even if um, my dad wasn't my dad i would think that i would start there and and then I, I would recommend one of the later albums like the quartet west stuff is really beautiful but there's so much. My dad recorded on hundreds and hundreds of albums, and there's so much yeah. material. I, I don't even know all the stuff he's played on. I don't know if he knew all of it. There was so much. There's a documentary, too, about yeah. your dad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good documentary. Hey, I wanted to ask you, Josh, about some of the bands that you thank in the thank you list for from this album, because it's like my favorite thank you list <laughs> on any SST album. It's just a total who's who. We had fun with those. So, the, the yeah, one on sure. Metis and the next album is, is good too. <laughs> one of our favorite guys, John Mako Sharkey. Yeah. Did you, did you play with Zoog's riff? Thanks for mentioning that. Um, we did play with Zoog's riff and we would, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was Chuck Dukowski when he was running Global who would put us on bills with Zoog's Rift, but we played with them more than a few times, and we got to be friends with John Mako Sharkey, and I, if you'd have to ask him, um, but I'm pretty sure we jammed with him once or twice, and I think James had a side project with him. It's quite awesome. Oh, wow. But I remember That's cool. those Zoog's Rift gigs were crazy. I remember them vividly. I bet maybe at Bebop, because they get a thank you here, too. Yeah, we played at Bebop yep. Records. That was a pretty significant venue for um, underground bands. Uh, a few episodes prior to this one is Lawndale, Sasquatch Rock, and Dave Childs and Lawndale get a thank you. I bet you played with them. Yes, we played with them and saw them a lot. Saw them play a lot. Tom Dog. Yeah. That would be Tom Tricoli, I'm assuming. Yeah, he he was great. And I um I actually knew him before I even started the band because my mom was a member of this um and it, it still exists. It's like this grocery store kind of it's called the co-op in Santa Monica, and we were like, us kids, me and myself and my sisters, who are a little younger than me, we were like indentured servants to this place. <laughs> we would work there, and my mom would get a discount on the groceries, which makes sense now, but back then I was like, 
why am I wrapping all this cheese? Not even getting paid. And Tom Tricoli worked there. So I oh, okay. I, I doubt he even remembers that, but I would like wrap cheese and cellophane with Tom Tricoli and have these conversations <laughs> when I was like eleven or something. And um and yeah, we we I remember seeing Tom, Tom Tricoli's dog play as well. We may have even played a gig or two with them. That must have been weird when you put two and two together, and you're like, "That's that guy from the co-op." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was really nice, really super sweet guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Okay, here's one of my favorites: Sylvia, half woman, half hallucination. Sylvia Juncosa. We were friends with her, especially James. He was very good friends with her. Um, she's on the cover of the. Third, the third record we did for SST. Um, right. So we were good friends with her. Swa and drummer Greg, that would be Greg Cameron, yeah. and Meryl Ward all get a thank you. Yeah. I bet you played with Swa. We they played, played with Swa. everybody. And Dukowski was my liaison to SST. I, I didn't, I rarely talked with Ginn, but Dukowski was like the guy who I would talk to about stuff and make complaints and he he was the one who would listen and give me advice. Uh, Edward O'Brien, SST employee and also member of Zoogs' band. Yes, we were friends too. Biza Congressov, I bet you you played with Universal Congressov. Yes, we did. Yeah. They were great. Let's see, this is another one of my favorites. Ed from Ohio, Wave Unit, that's got to be George. <laughs> A reference yeah. to reference to the hair, right? And the flannel man, yeah. How many shows do you think you played with Firehose? I bet lots. Well, they seem to play a ton of shows. I don't remember. Maybe a half dozen altogether. Yeah, that must have been like a perfect pairing, though. Yeah, of bands. Yeah, yeah. Th those were fun gigs. You thank Opal. Opal, yeah. Well, I didn't know them. But um, we loved Opal. Here's an interesting one. Phantom Opera. Yeah. Early New Alliance band. They were a New Alliance band that we liked. The Meat Puppets? Mm-hmm. And they, they were funny guys. They were always high. They, like, uh, I remember this one time I was talking with, I don't know which of the Kirkwoods, I don't remember, but he, he was talking and he said, yeah, the other day I started feeling really high and I realized that I, I was holding all my LS my uh, acid in my hand <laughs> I don't that'll know do I it talk about that <laughs> I think they're pretty open about that stuff one time um, like I remember like one of the the um, things that everyone was aspiring to was to be able to smoke out with Greg Ginn to smoke mm -hmm. with Greg Ginn and I would always see him. He, he kind of had like this exclusive club at, like a like a VIP organization at the gigs, and it was like a very closed, close knit group of people, and it was hard to kind of get in there. And I remember thinking, man, it would be, sure would be great to smoke pot with Greg Ginn. And the one time it happened, I um, was at the this venue and. Um, kind of close to downtown LA called the Anti-Club, where we played a lot. 
And Greg Ginn's like, come on and smoke out with us to me. And, and that evening I'd had this premonition that I was going to get into a car accident on the way back from the gig. So I was like, I can't smoke pot with you, Greg Ginn. I'm sorry. I had this premonition (laughs) and I have to be sober. Usually I didn't care that much, but I definitely had to be sober for my drive home because I was going to get in a car accident. And sure enough, on my way back, because this was in the later years when I I am like 1988, when I started going to um, university in Irvine, which is about an hour drive south of LA. And I was on the freeway with Quinn, the guitarist, and my back seat loaded down with these really heavy amplifiers. And sure enough, there was, I got into an accident and I, I I won't go into all the details, but we ended up going from 65, 70 miles an hour to a dead stop sideways in the middle of the freeway. And we were unscathed. We didn't hit any cars, although there were cars like completely smashed on the side of the freeway. Wow. And I really feel like if I had smoked pot with Greg Ginn, I wouldn't have survived that crash. My, my head was so clear. I remember saying to my, thinking to myself, you're not going to crash. You're not going to crash. You're not going to crash. <laughs> the whole time I was skidding out. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Well, that was the one chance I had to smoke pot with Greg Ginn, and I blew it. But it came out okay. I'm still alive. So far, knock on wood. Tell me about your next band, Spain. Or that what I'm assuming that was your next project after Treacherous Jaywalkers. Yeah, like in 1988, I got a job working at a radio station called KCRW in Santa Monica. And I became the assistant music librarian and I started getting all this new music that I wasn't aware of. And one of the bands was a band called Cowboy Junkies, which completely blew my mind. And I was like, well, this is the music. It was kind of more bluesy and a slower tempo and the guitars were cleaner sounding. And I said to myself, this is the kind of music I'm going to try to make. And um, I started moving away from a punk rock kind of a personal way of playing, you know, 88, 89. And by 94, I think think Treacherous ended in like 93. And by 94, I had a new band called Spain. And 95, we released our first album as Spain. Okay. With completely and you, different personnel. And you had a lot of success with Spain? Um, yeah, I, I, in my mind, it's been very successful. Um, yeah. I think the, the peak was that first album. Depends on your definition of success. I would say artistically, for sure, you did. Well, I mean, artistically, I think it was just as successful as Treacherous Jaywalkers because with Treacherous Jaywalkers, we were doing exactly what was in our minds. We we weren't trying to pretend 
to be something that we weren't. You know, we we right. weren't posing and acting. We were just being ourselves. And in that sense, it was very successful because that's what we set out to do. It wasn't very financially successful. It 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 was fulfilling and we could live our lives in a very like proud way because we were living our ideals and a lot of bands don't do that a lot of musicians who think they need to be successful play music that they don't believe in or wouldn't want to listen to even so we we were we succeeded in that sense spain's reformed yeah are you doing it again now yeah, we're doing it. We I have been doing it for several years. We we have I think we're we just released our eighth album last year or two years ago. And before all this COVID stuff happened, we were gonna go in the studio and start the new record. So yeah, we're we're still recording and playing live all the time. We have a um, monthly residency in, in downtown LA at this bar called the Love Song Bar. We've been okay. doing for over three years, and it's been a lot of fun. Touring okay. Europe a lot, and not so much the states, but we our last stateside shows were last year, um, Seattle and Portland. What about James and Quinn? Are they still involved in music? Do you know? Um, I I. I do believe they're still playing but i don't think they're in bands per se i think that may have changed but um quinn is a lover of surfing he's like like surfing is in his blood and he travels the world surfing and met a lovely woman and in the philippines and got married and lives in the philippines now surfing all the time and I think he's still playing music, writing songs. He's um, a novelist. He has like three novels out, very talented. And James, I believe he were, he lives up north, like in the Pacific Northwest. And he was a journalist for a while. And I just saw pictures of him playing drums again. He, I, I think of the three of us, James was the most talented musician um, he was just a monster, and is, still is, a monster drummer, which you can hear on the records. He's just so creative and spontaneous. I'm glad he's still playing. Did you guys ever come close to playing a show, or did you play any shows, like, after you broke up? No. <laughs> no. No, people have asked me, and I, I couldn't imagine myself revisiting that material I wouldn't even know where to begin. I, I think there's a couple of songs I could play, but that was like a completely different world. I don't even know how I did it. I don't know how I played the, those bass lines. I don't just, but um, I listened to it a lot as in as insofar as like the digitization of the material. Um, I love those songs. In retrospect, I feel like we should have re-recorded our first cassette called Earth for the S our first SST release. Would have been cool to do that, but we didn't. 
would that have been a full length yeah. or these were eps these cassettes no they, they were full length the songs on these are are not songs that got recycled necessarily later on um no i think i i have demo versions of the songs on the ep of the sunrise ep but for good medicine which is coming up in a long while the which is right. full length treacherous lp i might be wrong i don't know if i have many demos because we were always like a year ahead of ourselves. We'd write songs and record demos, and then we wouldn't do proper recordings until like a year later. We'll keep watching your Bandcamp page and, and hoping to, to see some of that stuff. It's yeah. great to hear it. Yeah. Yes, um, I'm working on it, and hopefully, although right now there's a bunch of live stuff on it that's pretty entertaining, especially uh, yeah. I highly recommend... The Treacherous Jaywalkers Live at the Malibu Yacht Club, that is a very good one. Okay. What was that show? <laughs> I don't even remember, but the, just the the banter back and forth between the band and the crowd, the audience, which was a very kind of like less than zero crowd, you know, that movie Less Than right. Zero. Yeah. It was yeah. obvious that the audience were not punk rockers. And there's some very, very funny um, interactions with the audience that made me laugh <laughs> a lot. We'll definitely check that out. <laughs> well, hey, you're uh, you're on COVID lockdown, Josh. So yes. maybe you'll find some time to to work through some of that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it between the online um, schooling for my son and cooking dinner. It's really hard to find time <laughs> these days, but I am going to, yeah. I'm working on it. And I also have like Spain live stuff I'm trying to put on the Spain Bandcamp page. And um, one the thing I'm working on right now is the first Spain European show when we played this big festival and it's a great recording with lots of photos and I'm putting that together right now. So I alternate oh, Spain, treacherous, Spain, treacherous. So when this is done, I'll get back to treacherous. Right on. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. Thanks Josh for being on the show. Great interview. Great guy adds a whole bunch to this record for me anyways, oh, yeah. which, um, I love, I love a lot. Oh, just you wait, Ryan. Josh sent me like a treasure trove of stuff. Any treacherous fans for sure are going to want to be on our Instagram page this week. He sent me so much good, great stuff. Yeah. There's some great, um, info that he's laying down about kind of the band, how it started out. Um, interesting that they all started out so bloody young, but yeah. yeah, I gotta hear those early tapes. I gotta hear them. I've never heard them before, but I gotta hear those. Well, have you been on the Bandcamp page? No, I haven't. Is no. there? Is there? Are those tapes there? They're not. Josh told me he was gonna try and get Earth out. Uh, yeah, I thought just live stuff is there. Yeah, he was gonna try and get Earth up on the Bandcamp page by the time this episode comes out. So hopefully it will be. If not, he said shortly after. But there is just an insane amount of cool stuff on there. Okay, I'll have to check that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I just didn't, I haven't taken the time, but I'll have to after this. I kind of just wanted to 
relive this record because like I mentioned, it is it's a weird record for me, but also very treasured for me. It's one of those ones that I got along like it's it's one of the earliest SST releases I ever bought. Really? And yeah. I and I, I mentioned um maybe earlier in this episode or at, at the end of last episode about how like like my spiel about this record is I was on tour in the early nineties and we were going through Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, we went to a record store cause you gotta go record shopping when you're on tour, but I had no money. And, uh, I went to this record store called free cloud records and this was, you know, under the bins and uh, it's not a cutout my copy, but it definitely wasn't, up there with you know the more highly sought after records but it was cheap and i i looked at it the cover really grabbed my attention uh the cover is quite striking and uh i was like oh i gotta check that out flip it over and i saw two things right off the bat mike watt sst and the price was right and boom i got it hadn't heard it but i just bought it based on watt and the label and when I got at home, uh, for me, it was it, it was a big hit for me right off the bat because it sounded like a, and I, I don't know why I haven't heard anyone ever mention this and or or and then there's not much written about them either. But it really reminded me Quinn's guitar playing reminded me a lot of East Bay Ray from DK, hmm. and and then Cross with the Minutemen. It was it was a great mix for me, and I've always loved this record, and I love the lyrics on it too. Oh, the love lyrics it. are great. Yeah. Uh, interesting point that he made in the interview about you know them being political. They are they're pretty political lyrics. Oh yeah, it's it's insane, and uh, like I would have been I don't know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, or whatever when I got this. So it's a long time ago that I got this record. And just imagine how blown my mind was when I read the thank yous and not just the lyrics, but Josh's like, he's, he's got like a mantra here and, you know, an edict, a few notes about the United States government. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, let's get into that, Ryan. So some of the most interesting stuff he sent me is a bunch of stuff on the Palisades juvenile delinquents, which he talks about in the in the interview, PJD, I think the logo's on the insert to, to the record. It is, yep. Okay, so here's the first thing, Ryan. You talk about um, needing to hear these treacherous tapes. So one of the coolest things he sent me was a bunch of PJD catalogs. What? With some of these bands. <laughs> you want to talk about like needing to hear the treacherous stuff. It's a catalog with images of the tape covers. Bands like, okay, well, here's the cover for the treacherous tape Earth, which is PJD001. Okay, I'll read you what it says about PJD001. The original Beyond Core tape that started it all, the superior recording techniques only help to accentuate the mind-boggling music created by James Quinn and Josh, a must for any collector. Here's what it says about PJD-004, Treacherous Jaywalker's Insidious Son. 
The second tape from PJD's Premier Minds. This tape shows growth in a band that would eventually sign to SST Records. Features such greats as Waited Until Now and Strangers in the Night. And both of these tapes, by the way, say they're 60 minutes long. Wow. Yeah. Band, some other bands on here, there's one called Animal. Uh, Mustard, who he mentions in the episode. Probe is the name of their tape. That's PJD 008. Oblitosaurus. A lot of these bands, too, have members of Treacherous Jaywalkers in them. Okay. Here's This is interesting. Treacherous Jaywalkers Fun is the third tape. That It's 90 minutes long. And it says, yet more from this power trio features the original versions of songs to be found on their SST releases. Nice. I got to get those. Okay, this is from an ad for a PJD mailer catalog. There's, like, out. That's the one I want to hear, Ryan, real bad. That's their, um, that's their Gone-influenced yeah, instrumental right. band. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Shower of Smegma. That's a that's a band. Jeez. Yeah. There's some really interesting looking stuff on here. Yeah, dude, I gotta hear those tapes. I, I'm not joking when I say like I got this. I got this 12 inch during some very formative years of my life, and I've always loved them. And I'm gonna say it right now that you know how we are always. You know, we're always griping about how certain SST bands never really got their due or, you know, if you're not in the top 10 SST bands, everyone just shits on you or whatever. And we always talk about like Angst or Slovenly or Dostalman about like, man, they're such great bands. They really need um, to be discovered. And I'm I am for the record throwing treacherous jaywalkers in there for my money because I don't know. I love I love this record. I gotta hear those tapes. Well, again, it's a shame that it's none of it's up on streaming for people to hear. But like, it didn't even come out on CD, and I'm pretty sure all they released on SST was a full length album and two EPs. You could probably fit all of that on one CD. Yeah, and then the second CD could be like the best of the tapes or something. But it says on the bottom of this this catalog is spring 1988. It says. Uh, some tapes were never officially officially released. Send a blank set and one dollar for postage, or three dollars and no tape to the PO box. Make checks of it payable to Josh Hayden. Someone will dupe it for you. That'd be sweet. So hey, I, I've got a tape player still. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're ever going to be able to find copies of these, but hopefully, with a little luck, this Earth one will be up on Bandcamp soon enough you'll be able to hear it there i'll make an exception i'll go non-physical copy for these tj records because i've got to hear them yeah i i just uh i love the playing on them i love and i i mean again like i was just a, a young teenager and i was just expanding my mind outside of like dead kennedys and stuff like that and here comes this band that kind of has dead kennedy sounding guitar but they're like funky and intricate and like minuteman and that kind of stuff and it was it was awesome okay well here's another cool thing about the pjd this i think he said is from maximum rock and roll 
and it's a thing about the PJD, like, you know, like the scene report. Oh yeah. Cool. This, this is a scene report Josh wrote about Palisades juvenile delinquents. Josh wrote it? Yeah. Oh, nice. Dear citizen, what's happening? Life been treating you well? Let's see here. The treacherous jaywalkers have just completed recording their new 18 song tape tentatively titled Earth. This is Palisades Juvenile Delinquents' first release. Help us celebrate by buying a copy. They go for $3 postage paid. Since this is the first release, only four dozen copies will be made, first edition. So get them while they're hot. If you send a check, write it out to Josh Hayden. Okay, here he's talking about the PJD. We are a bunch of kids who dislike government and authority and who share a desire to get rid of them. We are non-violent, which doesn't, by the way, mean we're passive. Through our music, literature, art, ideas, and our united effort to perform ridiculous acts in the face of our enemies, we will help to destroy this authority. Through the combined efforts of humankind, authority will be destroyed. Also, unlike many of the underground movements in existence today, we don't care who you are. We are not an organization or a business. We don't make money. We have no members. We have no founder and no leaders. No matter what color you are, how you look, how you dress, what kind of music you listen to, whatever, you are a radical person. Remember, there are no rules with the, con- with the context of PJD, only a common need for peace and the survival of the human race, not to mention animals. And it goes on and talks about a whole bunch of the bands in the PJD, many of whom have the members of Treacherous in them. Lots who don't, though. I don't know any of these bands, though. Alter Drown, Sacred Advice, Remains of Nothing. Here's the description of Remains of Nothing. Spoken word from Josh, Quinn, Steve, and Daryl, exclusively for the illegally insane. (laughs) Sounds cool. Yeah, it it would have been a, you got to think, a very insular seam, right? Yeah. Didn't probably get that far out of the West Coast, if at all. Here's a cool thing that Josh sent me. So Josh thinks New Alliance Records was supposed to release Sunrise in 1987. When the record got moved to SST, they de- they delayed the release until 1988. The original New Alliance Records catalog number was NAR036, which I looked up and is actually the Rudolph Gray album Transfixed. Huh. There, Josh sent me a bunch of flyers, and a lot of them talk about a June 1987 release on New Alliance Records, like on the posters. Okay, yeah, they definitely changed course at some point. Well, it actually came out in 1988. So he sent me two two really cool things. He sent me a newsletter called The Treacher Collector, again written by him. This came out in April of 1988. So although we're still in 1987, this EP, Sunrise, came out in like April of 88. He actually sent me also an SST new release schedule and it's dated March 1st, 1988. And it's got Screaming Trees, Other Worlds on it, which was SST 105. And I think if I'm remembering right, we predicted that that was released out of sequence. But then it's got like Sister Double Happiness's first album, which was which is 162. Universal Congress of Prosperous and Qualified, which is SST 180. Like it's 191, Mofungo Bugged, 
came out in March of 1988, and so did this one. So did the DOS Domin Promo 7-inch SST190. So they're all over the place. For sure. Can I lay a spiel on you from uh, an SST catalog from 1989 about this Sunrise release? Sure. It's actually a pretty nice SST catalog. It's like glossy and everything from back then, like a book. It's several pages long. It says about the treacherous Jaywalkers EP Sunrise. Throw yourself off that cliff. Feel the wind rush up through your hair, making your eyes water and your teeth cold as the patchwork blanket of earth draws you dizzyingly closer. A torrent of thoughts and emotions runs through your mind with blinding speed. This four-song EP from the Jaywalkers is exactly like that, only fun. And it says, uh, yeah, EP, 12-inch EP and cassette, 650. Wow. Yeah, this is from the Treacher Collector, April 1988. The Treacherous EP is finally out, exactly a year after it was recorded. Sunrise is being sent to stores and should be in most throughout the U.S. by April 14th. He talks about how they're recording the full length, like in April of 88, right when this was coming out. And he he told me about that by email too. By the time Sunrise was actually released, we were already in the studio recording Good Medicine, which is SST-207. He says, we were all bummed by the sale to SST. We really wanted Sunrise to be released by New Alliance. James talks about it a little in our version of La Illa Bonita on our last EP from 1989. Hmm. And then in this Treacher Collector, he has some gig news too. He sent me a whole bunch of posters. They played with like every SST band, like some on some really stacked bills, many of them at the anti-club. There's a poster for Firehose, Treacherous, Trotsky, Ice Pick. Another one with those same three bands and also Universal Congress of. One at the Whiskey with Firehose and Screaming Trees. One at the Music Machine in LA, Ryan, with L7, the Lazy Cowgirls, Jeff Dahl, and it says featuring ex-dead boy Cheetah Chrome and Treacherous Jaywalkers. That's a bill. Yeah. This is was one that was really cool. Out, that's their Gone-influenced instrumental band, headlining a show over Swa and Blast. Hmm. That doesn't sound as expected. Here's a review from a show at the Anti-Club. Friday, February 12th, SST recording artists and metal worshippers Swa, Angst, Seattle's Incredible Sound Garden, a band that produces something akin to the sounds and rhythms of Godzilla leveling Tokyo, plus treacherous jaywalkers. How about that, Bill? Yeah, they were on some wicked bills, man. Wow. Here's a show review from Flipside number 56. Check this out. One show I don't have any trouble remembering is the one at the All Ages Palomino with Zoog's Rift headlining. He now calls his band non-entity instead of the shitheads but other than that zoogs is a pretty uncompromising guy and his present lineup with trombone and accordion and accordion is quite absurd and thus works well for him the other bands that night were a little bit too jazz to get me fully aroused the treacherous jaywalkers still being obviously influenced by the minutemen and having a drummer who could almost give hurley a run for his money and universal yep. congress of who are as close to free jazz as rock and roll gets. There's a lot of that comparing them to the Minutemen. Yeah, well, 
you know what we said about comparing Blast to Black Flag, Brant? Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? If it's good, it's good. Speaking of them playing with a bunch of bands, here's a few other cool recollections I got from Josh. We were good friends with the band Magnolia Thunderpussy. We played some parties together and also hung out a lot. Dave Jones played bass in my solo band in the mid-2000s. We were good friends with Dave Travis, the SST videographer, show organizer, and promoter. I videotaped several live SST-related shows with him, including Bad Brains, Butthole Surfers, and others. His sister Abby was in the Love Dolls, and her and I have been friends since I was 16. Dave Travis used to host parties in his parents' backyard with Black Flag, Gone, Saccharin Trust, and others, including Treacherous. One time, the guitarist from Lawndale walked the length of the swimming pool to prove his 100% polyester lounge suit would dry within 10 minutes. <laughs> we were also good friends with the band Chemical People, and we used their practice space sometimes. Red Cross and others also practiced there. And this is cool. He sent me a flyer from one of those Dave Travis shows. We've talked about him before. Skull Rock. This one was from 1985 and it was called Three and a Half. Skull Rock Three and a Half. Apparently Skull Rock Three got cancelled due to rain. It's a popular hiking spot in the Santa Monica Mountains. In fact, at the bottom of the poster it says, Stop. There's like there's a little map and it says, Stop, park, and hike three miles from here and you're there. And the bands on that show were Treacherous, Entrophy, October Faction, Swa, Lawndale, and this band Equidermis, who he told me some insane stories about. He said we mentioned Equidermis on a previous episode, but I don't I don't ever remember mentioning them. Maybe it was one yeah. of our guests. Do you know who they are? I don't. That doesn't ring a bell for me. He sent me like the gnarliest stories about that band. They sound like <laughs> remember that book you were reading about like the punk rock gangs or whatever? Oh yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like that. Like I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try and get some more on Equidermis. I bet you you are. For a future episode. Cause it's some pretty insane shit. Then he sent me this. This was interesting. What leaving trains meant to me. Leaving trains were from our town. I bought the first leaving train single shortly after I discovered punk rock at age 13 in 1981. It was my favorite record next to jealous again and paranoid time. They were the first real punk rockers I ever saw, and they were walking around my neighborhood. Falling James Moreland worked at the local library. I'd check out books from him, and I'd think to myself, holy shit, and then he put this in all caps, the singer from Leaving Trains is checking out my books. I was in, <laughs> I was in awe of him. The Hofer brothers, Tom and Manfred, dressed in black, wore leather jackets. They were tall and skinny and looked like they were in the Ramones. Not long afterwards, the Hofers left the trains. That was around the time James Fenton, the treacherous drummer, and I got to be friends with them. We met them at Rhino Records. I don't know why they quit the band. I'd go to see the leaving trains after that, and they were horrible. Falling James would play these awful less-than-zero preppy parties with a new backing band who looked like they were in Kajagoogoo. What are you doing, Falling James? I'd ask myself before leaving. Then Manfred joined the Nymphs. They were great. I'd see them play a lot and had a huge crush on Inger Lore. Sure sounds like Josh doesn't like less than zero. <laughs> 
All right, one more thing I wanted to mention that we didn't talk about in the interview. We did talk about his dad, Charlie Hayden. I never asked him this, but I was thinking to myself, I wonder if like Watt or Gin ever met Josh's dad. Like if he ever came to a treacherous gig or something. Because those, oh, I'm those sure guys they, for sure they, would have been big fans. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Like Charlie Hayden played on The Shape of Jazz to Come, which is one of the most groundbreaking jazz records of all time. Ornette Coleman. Oh, for sure. I really want to see that documentary too. Have you seen that one? Which one? The Charlie on Ornette? The, the Charlie Hayden one. Oh, the Charlie. No, no, no. I didn't know that I, I was like, I didn't think there's one about Ornette. I didn't know there I didn't know there was one about Charlie until he mentioned it in the interview, but I'm all over that for sure. Yeah, I think it's called Ramblin' Boy or something like that. Okay. Uh so we talked about Char- his dad, but he also has three sisters who are triplets Petra Tanya and Rachel Rachel and Petra were in a band called that dog together yep Uh, Tanya is married to Jack Black the actor who's in the band Tenacious D they've all had long careers and played with lots of amazing artists and they perform together as the Hayden triplets they've released a new album this year called the family songbook it's on third man records yep Rachel's in one of one of my favorite records from the uh the 90s a uh, uh weezer offshoot called the rentals matt sharp put out that first album and i still love that album let's talk about let's go to through the tracks man history lesson part two all right side a the the rager detonate i don't think it's called side a though ryan i think it's called side josh yeah, no, you're right. It, well, it says it's actually called Side Josh, this side. Okay. On the label, and then Side Quinn is the other side, is what it says. But you're right. Side one on or sorry, track one on side one is detonate. Okay. Lyrics and music by Josh. This one is the one he mentions in the interview was on the demo he gave Watt. Yeah. Right out of the gate for me, you hear the musicianship. It kind of grabs you. Uh, I see what Josh means about how it, it would be challenging for him to play this now, especially like singing at the same time. Yeah, he's pretty busy while singing as well. It's up there with what for yeah. me to be able to sing and play like this. Some of the lyrics, building bombs to keep the peace, hides the fact that all they want to do is detonate. Here he says in this one, I see the sunrise. It burns through your hatred. That's like one of the lyrics that gives me the uh, the goosebumps, man. Burns through your hatred, it bursts through your disease, detonate, explode. It's so, and the way he sings it, it's so triumphant too at the end. Love it. Yeah, I like the bass breakdown in this one and like how it shifts. This That's the part that sounds like a theremin or something to me. Yeah, I think it's just like a tape of some space sounds. It definitely is like, theremin-esque but it could be just off of an old sci-fi show or something maybe okay the second track can you afford the pleasure lyrics and music by josh this one for me i could hear the minutemen influences for sure kind of railing against consumerism and the business class yeah i love the second half of the song in particular that intense mellow piece but then it just like gets so so intense though that lyric you know there's a sink in the air the smell of three-piece suits that they wear i wish it was a full-length album because there 
so that there would be more of this, but for the fact that when I listen to it, I get to flip it over and listen to side A really quick again. Yeah. <laughs> it's only 16 minutes long, the whole thing. And we should say, like, it came out on cassette also. Yeah. Cassette and 12-inch EP. Okay, we flip it over for side Quinn, and the first song is the title track, Sunrise, lyrics and music by Quinn. Yeah, it's an epic jam. Set me free, man. Love it. Yeah. With the birds flying over my head as they drive into the sea. United, we can destroy Babylon. You, me, and the PJD must see the day we meet atop Mount Zion. Yeah, I love how in the the song Detonate, there's the lyric, I see the sunrise. Then there's the song Sunrise, and the EP is called Sunrise. Yeah, and then and then of course the album art too. It's it's all really cohesive for me. I Love like that. how the PJD gets a shout out in this track. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I think you're obsessed with the PJD. <laughs> I am, man. Wait till you see these catalogs. You're going to be too. I just want those. Uh, I want those TJ tapes. I want to hear the tunes. Man. I want to hear time. out. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do too. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Uh, these guys have got just such a special place for me. Wait till I uh, go off on some of the bands like up in the in the late 200s on SST that I, I bought because they were like really cheap because it's all I could afford. And now they're one of my favorite bands of all time like these guys. Okay, speaking of instrumental stuff, the last track's an instrument called Helicopters in the Sunrise, music by Quinn, arranged by Treacherous. Josh is credited as playing keys on this track, but I couldn't really, I couldn't really pick it out. Yeah, it's, I mean, there, there's a bit of a slow jam there for a while that I, I think that's where the keys come in. Almost Lawndale-esque sounding at points in this song, but for me, this is like a post-punk masterpiece. Like it's, it's the perfect closer to a four-song EP for me. This is the one we talk about in the interview. Aiden and Marshall do the dialogue at the beginning, which is transcribed on the back of the album. Yeah. Bit of slapping and popping from Josh, a bit of shredding from Quinn, and James is just going crazy all over his kit on this one. Yeah. So it was recorded in April 87, Radio Tokyo, by Richard Andrews. We've seen Richard on a ton of releases in the last little while here says Quinn, Aiden, Marshall, and James saying, saying backup on detonate. Yeah. Josh played keys on helicopters. Aiden said a line on sunrise. Aiden and Marshall recite the following dialogue. Um, and then, yeah, it has it printed on the back of the jacket here. I have a few reviews here, Ryan, of this record. This is from, it looks like summer 88 issue of something called contrast maybe i don't know what that is a very promising debut ep from la's treacherous jaywalkers produced by mike watt there is more than a slight minutemen influence but this band possesses enough youthful energy and spirit that they compare favorably with them forget firehose this could quite possibly be the band to carry on that legacy hmm that's dave howard Here's from Ink Disease, issue 14, fall 88. Four killer songs on this 12-inch. Musically, it's hard to describe. This three-piece has a raw, poppy, rockish sound with a heavily experimental edge, or maybe not. A Minutemen influence can definitely be heard. 
And what do you know? It's produced by Mike Watt. Great musicianship, and the drummer really shreds. Intelligent, socially aware lyrics and insane music makes this a must for people who like their toast a little burnt <laughs> and, their, and their eggs a little runny. Beware of the treacherous jaywalkers. Okay, and then this is from Butt Rag. This might be Steve Albini. Wasn't he Butt Rag? It's from Chicago. I don't know. It doesn't say who the reviewer is. I'll read it to you and you can decide whether it's Steve Albini or not. How about that? <laughs> I'm sure. LA post-hardcore outfit featuring Josh Hayden, Charlie's son, with strong political bent and an overwhelming willingness to eat right out of Mike, Walk's, Mike Watt's hand. Watt's production and songs that breathe heavy Minutemen fumes and sound exactly like some firehose tunes provide the lure of a rotten kiwi skin. The lyrics will really test your patience if you truly want to go that far. Based on pure nepotism as, mu as much or more than just about any uh, other SST signing in the last couple of years. Really bogus live combat conversation simulation included as well. Oh boy, let me at him. That's Albini for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's him. What about the artwork, Ryan? It's really great. Yeah, like I said, it caught my attention way back when in the bins. Uh, these striking black, yellow, and red cover of, you know, you'd think it's a sunrise, but it also kind of looks like, you know, some hills, maybe some palm trees, and maybe the sunrise in the background there, but almost like like it's on fire as well. The hills are on fire. It's It's cool. I love it. It kind of also reminds me of some of the work that Pettibone has done. It kind of looks like his surfer's work. And on the back cover, there is like a a wave, like a surfer pipe or whatever, you know? What would you call that? Curl? Yeah. Quinn is a surfer. He mentions it in the interview. And he's also an author, and many of his books are about surfing. I looked him up. No, no it's, I mean... It's got that vibe for sure. It looks it looks kind of like flaming waves as well. But I mean, it's a sunrise behind a hill, I think. That's what I've always thought. Anyways, how much do you dig that picture on the back of the band? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, look at those sweet um, rib bones on that deck too, hey? Yeah. <laughs> awesome Descendants Enjoy shirt on uh, James. Yep. And Quinn is just going to go and... Just go Natus Capus on all of the uh, the pavement. Yeah, that looks awesome. He's going to drop in, man. Yeah. Did you check out the insert on this? I've got the insert. There's some cool stuff on there, including the, the awesome thank you list that we talk about in the interview. The thing that I never, ever, ever appreciated, though, was the story behind Josh's Fender bass, which is wicked. Because that is like in a, a beautiful, beautiful instrument. But I've got a question: what's the what's the bass on the flip of the insert? Like that's not a jazz bass. So Quinn has got he he's got something that looks like an ESP or an Ibanez or something like that. And one one of them, yeah, it's the same one. He's got like almost looks like Misfits Ghost on it or something. Yeah, but. Um, I'm just geeking out on Josh's bass here. He's got that wicked Fender. 
but then on the other side he's got some sort of bass it looks like something from the 80s like an alembic or i don't know i don't know what it is uh, might even be a yamaha actually i'd be interested to know what type of, of bass that is hmm. and then on the on the back as well um Quinn is doing some more shredding after he's dropping down this side and his reflection is in the window, which looks killer. Yeah, it's cool, man. I love this thank you list. <laughs> I know. What are your faves? I like all this. Augustus Pablo. Ja Rastafari gets a thank you. Sunra. Rites of Spring. Worm is on here. Some like comic book stuff. Judge Dread. Swamp Thing. L.A. Dodgers and Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> Carlsbad Caverns. Yeah, great stuff. Dinosaur, minus the junior. What was the other one I saw here that I liked? Minor Threat, after they've been broken up. Jello, Zappa. Jello and Zappa side by side makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. <laughs> Snake Finger, man. Yeah. Next to the, next to the residence. Whoa. Merrill Ward. Drummer, Optimum, Opus, Magnum, Flamethrower, Wrist Action Dude, and Pat to Damascus. So who's that drummer? Is that the drummer in Sylvia, Sylvia's band? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to remember. Sounds right. Cool, that's about it. People should check that out. And then there is, obviously, I mentioned it before, Josh's epic spiel on the United States government. The U.S. government operates within a cloud of deception and greed. Where else but America could faith in peace and humanity be replaced by faith in corrupt politicians and rich businessmen? We, the treacherous jaywalkers, are opposed to the United States government and its unique, insidious forms of oppression. The treacherous jaywalkers invite anyone and everyone who shares in our concerns to write and let us know you are out there and aware of what actually is going on. Heavy shit. Yeah, man. Ballot result? Oh, wait, wait, wait. We got to do some dead wax. Dude, some wax. And you've got the uh, the PJD obsession here, so yep. you, you better hang on here. Side, Josh. It says Palisades, Juvenile Delinquents. That's side A. And uh, side B or side Quinn says Aiden is a Wiseman. Ballot result. Do it. Ballot result. This one's all you, man. This is your album, so... Detonate. Yeah. Gotta be. What's your second pick? Uh, can you afford the pleasure? Uh, like, Side A kills it for me, um, but I love all four songs. Yeah. I, I can flip this one over and over. Can you afford the pleasure, though? I love, I love the breakdown in the middle of the song, and then it just gets so intense. And uh, Josh's vocals are intense on that on that song too um helicopters in the sunrise though i'm gonna say it again is like just an for me an amazing post-punk hidden gem that i don't think uh, enough people know about yeah thanks to josh for sending all this stuff and for being a guest on the show definitely what kind of bass is that <laughs> <laughs> he'll let us know i know ryan what's next week next week is sst 127 our first cruel frederick release the birth of the cruel looking forward to it hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on facebook instagram twitter tumblr all at mojack pod we post all kinds of info 
and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.